We doing all right? Everybody good? You look good. Everybody feeling good? All right, let me pray for us. And uh, Adrian, you can stay. Um, I want to take a moment to uh, just pray for uh, California. Um, you know, it's, it's every, every week we look at the news, or every day we look at the news, and there's something uh, terrible that's happening in our world. And, um, and I don't want us as uh, people who are in the church um, to lose sight of the importance of praying for those people um, and praying that God would uh, minister to their hearts, that God would intervene. Um, and it's just, we just need to pray. And, um, and so, Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And God, we lift up uh, the state of California to you. And we say, God, that that land belongs to you. And God, I pray for the people um, who lost a family member, a friend, a brother, a sister, a father, a husband, a wife, um, in the terrible shooting that happened in a thousand oaks. And um, I just pray for peace and comfort over those families. Your word tells us that uh, you are the prince of peace, and the peace that you provide is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Father, that's the peace that I pray to rest over those families and those houses. And God, we pray for those who've had to flee their home uh, because of the fires that are happening in California. And God, I pray, would you let it rain? Would you let it rain all over that state? And God, I pray, uh, I pray for the families who've already lost people due to the fires. And I pray for the families who've lost everything. And God, I pray that we as the church would stand up in moments like this to remind people that yes, you may have lost everything here on earth, but you still have everything that you need. In the hope that we have in Jesus, the love that we have in Jesus. And Father, we pray, let it rain. Let it rain. And God, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray, would you speak? And as you speak, that we would listen. And not just listen, but God, that your words would move us to action. We love you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, Adrian. Can we give it up for Adrian? Hi, I'm super excited to uh, continue our series called Legacy. And last week we heard from our lead pastor, Paul Andrew, who did an incredible job of talking about David. And what David is known as is he's known as a worshiper. That's, that's when you think of David, that's what you think of. And Paul talked about uh, how David's worship and how our worship has the ability to leave a legacy for the generations to come. And some of you are thinking, well, how does, how does me singing three songs at the beginning of a service, how does that leave a legacy? Well, worship is so much more than that. And that's what Paul kind of opened the door for us to understand but I also believe that when we're in this moment, that when we're singing these songs, and if you're new, maybe it's karaoke to you, but we believe there's power in the words that we're singing. Um, 
that there is, uh, there's something that happens when we fully surrender to God, even in this moment on Sunday. That I believe, I, I love the fact that our kids are in here because our kids are looking to us and they're saying, wow, I, I see my parents worshiping or I see this person worshiping. And, it's, and what God's doing is he's starting to teach that child what it means to worship him, what it looks like to be surrendered to him. And so our worship can leave a legacy, and I believe in the heart of every human being is the desire to make a difference, to live a life that has an impact, and, and to leave a legacy that outlasts the life that we live. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, the story of a, of a lady that we're introduced to in the book of Genesis, and her name is Rebecca. And I believe that as we look at Rebecca's story, as we look at the example of generosity that Rebecca uh, exemplified for us in this story, that we're going to learn three things about generosity and how generosity helps us to leave a legacy for the generations to come. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible, God still loves you. And he loves you so much that he created technology, and we can have it on the screen. And, uh, but, but what I want to do is I want to kind of set the stage for us before we jump into the text this morning. And so in Genesis chapter 4, what we have when Rebecca is introduced is uh, she's introduced to us because Abraham sends his servant out to look for a wife for his son Isaac. But what we have to understand, the reason this is important is because Abraham makes a covenant with God. And that covenant is, is God says, if you leave your home and go to this new land that I'm going to show you, I'm going to promise you that this new land, I'm going to give it to all of your descendants. So everybody that's in your family, everybody that will be in your family and in your lineage this land is going to be promised to them. And so Abraham makes that covenant, and, and throughout his life, he realizes that he wants to have a son that he can pass this legacy onto, that he can pass this promise onto. But what we know, what the Bible tells us, is that Abraham and his wife Sarah actually have a hard time conceiving, to the point where he had a kid, a son, with his servant, but, but Abraham really believed and, and really believed that he wanted to have a son with his wife, Sarah. And so three angels come to them, and they say, hey, the Lord's going to bless you with a son. And at this point, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're pretty old, at least beyond the age of, of being able to conceive a child. And so Sarah, when the angels come to them and tell them this news, she laughs. And I, I probably would have laughed too, you know, if I were in their spot. And, and, and what is so interesting about that, she laughs, and that actually ends up becoming the name of her son. See, Isaac means he laughs. And so Isaac comes into the picture now, and this is who Abraham's servant is looking for a wife. And, and, and so Isaac's in the picture, and God tests Abraham with Isaac. The Bible tells us that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. Some of y'all are like, what are we talking about? And, uh, and so God tests 
Abraham. And so Abraham, being full of faith, oh my gosh, takes his son to the altar. And as he's getting ready to sacrifice him, thank God, God steps in and provides a ram. And so Isaac is still alive. But now Abraham needs to find a wife for Isaac. And so Abraham sends his servant and he says, hey, I need you to go to the land that I came from to find my son Isaac a wife. And you notice that Abraham is very specific about the place that he wants his son's wife to come from because Abraham understood that he wants God to fulfill the promise. He wants the land, the promise of God, the covenant that he made with God to be fulfilled. So he doesn't want somebody who's not from the place that he came from because they wouldn't be his descendants. And so he says, hey, you need to go to this land and you need to find my son a wife and you need to ask her to come back with you. You got to tell her to leave her home, leave her, leave her parents, leave her family, leave the place that she's known and come and marry my son. And that's where we pick up this story. And Abraham sends a servant out. No pressure. Could you imagine being Abraham's servant? And he's like, hey, go find my son a wife. And here are all the requirements. And if you don't do this, well, then that's on you. That's, that's literally what the text says. It's like, well, you're the only one that's going to be to blame if you don't come back with a wife for him. No pressure. And so that's where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 24, uh, verse 10. I'm going to read 10 through 21 out of the message version. And it says this. It says, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and loaded with gifts from his master, traveled to Aram Nahiram and the city of Naor. Outside the city, he made the camels kneel at a well. It was evening, the time when the women came to draw water. He prayed, the servant was smart. He prayed, O God, O God of my master Abraham, make things go smoothly this day. Treat my master Abraham well. As I stand here by the spring while the young women of the town come out to get water, let the girl to whom I say, lower your jug and give me a drink, and who answers, drink and let me also water your camels, let her be the woman you have picked out for your servant Isaac. Then I'll know that you're working graciously behind the scenes for my master. It so happened that the words were barely out of his mouth when Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, whose mother was Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, so it's still in his family, came out with the water jug on her shoulder. The girl was stunningly beautiful. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came back up. The servant ran to meet her and said, Please, can I have a sip of water from your jug? She said, Certainly, drink. And she held the jug so that he could drink. When he had satisfied his thirst, she said, I'll get water for your camels too, until they've drunk their fill. She promptly emptied her jug into the trough and ran back to the well to fill it. And she kept at it until she had watered all the camels. And from this story, from Rebecca's example of generosity, I believe it shows us three things. And the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, is this, is generosity isn't always convenient. Generosity isn't always convenient. Convenient is defined as fitting in well with a person's needs, activities, and plans. So convenient is, is something that fits well with my needs, my activities, 
and my plans or involving little trouble or effort. And this is the opposite of what we see with Rebecca. This is the, the complete opposite of what we see. She was already going to the well, yes, to fill up her jug. But she turns around and the servant runs after her. And right there, disruption. The servant disrupts what Rebecca had planned right there. As soon as he stops her and asks her for a drink, there's a disruption. And he says, hey, can I, can I get a sip? And I think some of us, if we're honest, we like convenience. And if we put ourselves in a Rebecca spot, I'm like, no, you can't have a sip because I'm going to miss the first play of this game. I got to see this kickoff. Or, no, 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 I, I'm going to be late for this thing that I have. Or I'm going to miss the train that I planned out to, to catch at the perfect time. I'm going to miss the bus. Or I'm, I'm just not going to have enough time to do this. We love convenience. And Rebecca shows us in this story, through this example, that generosity isn't always convenient. So the servant disrupts her plans or her regularly scheduled activities. And, and all of Rebecca's friends are like, peace. He got you. He didn't get us. We're going to keep doing what we were doing. And, and the other thing I love is, is she didn't hesitate. She didn't need a backstory. She was quick to show hospitality. Whereas I think some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, when it comes to generosity, we love convenience, but we also like to judge. We like to determine if this person is worthy of our generosity. We like to determine if, if they're worthy of what I have to give them. But generosity isn't always convenient. She was asked and she did not hesitate to give. And when we understand that generosity isn't always convenient, we embrace the disruption. We don't mind that somebody's ruined our plan. We don't mind that somebody has, has caused us to go off of our regular schedule. You know, I, I watch a lot of TV. I love TV. I love TV shows. And the thing that like, drives me crazy is when there's like an interruption. And there's like, hey, there's an announcement from so-and-so. Send me a notification on my phone later. Y'all going to do it anyways. I'm in the middle of this show. A Million Little Things is on right now. Anybody else loving that show? It's so good. Try not to cry every week. But when we understand that generosity isn't convenient, we embrace the disruption. And I believe sometimes we understand that it's not convenient. We look for the disruption. We want somebody to come and disrupt us so that we can show them generosity. And, and here's the thing, though. The definition, the second definition of convenient involving little trouble or effort, Rebecca's example of generosity was not little trouble. It was not little effort. Here's what you have to know. Camels drink a lot of water. Jessica was just in Israel. She could probably tell you this. Camels drink a lot of water. The average camel in 15 minutes can drink 30 gallons of water. She would be lucky if her jug was a gallon. I hope it was, but it doesn't make it any easier. That's not little trouble or little effort. So, so there's not one camel, there's 10 camels that Rebecca, without hesitation, said, hey, I'll give you a drink of this water, but you know what? I'm also going to get water for your camels. So now, if we take the average that a camel drinks in 15 minutes, 
30 gallons of water for one camel. Rebecca is going to the well for 300 gallons of water. That equates to 8.3 gallons per pound. So she's about to haul 2,400 pounds of water out of the well. You tell me if that's little trouble or little effort. That's not, that's hard work. That is hard work. And see, when we understand that generosity isn't always convenient, we embrace the disruption, we embrace the work, and we don't hesitate to give. When we understand that it's, it's not always convenient, we don't hesitate, we don't even think about how much work is involved in it. We don't think about how this is going to ruin the rest of my day and what I had planned. We don't think about uh, how this is going to affect me. But we're just quick to give, and Rebecca did that. And Jesus is the greatest example of generosity. He gave his life. He gave his life for every single one of us in this room. That we would be forgiven. That we could be reconciled to our Father in heaven and let me tell you, Jesus giving his life for us on the cross is the furthest thing from convenient. But see, Jesus understood that generosity isn't always convenient. So he embraced the disruption of his life, his perfect, blameless life, to save us. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, in the Passion Translation, it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. Jesus' example of generosity wasn't convenient. Jesus clung to his father's promise of bringing a new kingdom. Jesus was there to do his father's will, not his own. And Jesus came to give his life for me and for you. Generosity isn't always convenient. It's not always convenient when you're on your way to work and you see that person in the subway station that you see every single morning. And this morning in particular, they decide to stop you. And they say, hey, do you have anything? It's not always convenient, but it doesn't release us from being generous. It's not always convenient when you feel like you don't have the time or the words, or even the resources to show somebody generosity, but it doesn't release us from being a people that God calls to be generous. It's not always convenient to give up your seat on the subway, especially if you've been working on your feet for 12 hours, but that doesn't release us from being a generous people. It's not always convenient to give financially, but it doesn't release us from embracing generosity. And I believe it's in this inconvenience that we set God up to do the improbable and the impossible. See, when generosity is convenient, it's all about what we can do. But when it's inconvenient, we now open the door for God to do something miraculous. Generosity isn't always convenient. So the servant asked Rebecca for a drink of water. That's all he asked for. And she responds without hesitation, yeah, you can have a drink, but hey, I'm also getting water for them camels. And Rebecca understood that generosity isn't always convenient, and she embraced the disruption. But the second thing we learned 
from her example of generosity is that generosity goes above. Generosity goes above. And what I mean by that is generosity goes above when we put others above ourselves. Sometimes in our faith, in our walk with Jesus, the thing that we need to get over in this life is us. Sometimes we stand in the way of God doing some incredible things. But generosity goes above. When asked for a drink of water, Rebecca said, yeah, I'll give you a drink, but I'm also going to water those camels. And I believe she was in a position to do that because she understood and her life was one where she put others above herself. And so in this moment, she wasn't thinking about what she needed. She wasn't thinking about what she had to do. She wasn't thinking about what, what needed to get done in her life. She was concerned simply with Abraham's servant and making sure that he had everything that he needed, including hauling 2,400 pounds of water for his camels. And so when we put others above ourselves, when we value others above ourselves, we can be generous without judgment, we can be generous without hesitation, and we can be generous with no questions asked. Isn't that the same way that Jesus shows us generosity? We come to God full of sin, full of shame. And I believe that when we enter into the presence of God, Jesus doesn't ask any questions, but he says, hey, my love is for you. My grace is for you. And there's an abundance. There's an overflow that he gives, and Rebecca exemplified this. Jesus lived his life always putting others above himself, and he calls us to do the same. I don't think we can be generous if we don't understand that generosity goes above. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Notice it doesn't say, hey, do something out of selfish ambition. It's pretty clear. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. The reason that verse is so important is because we cannot be a generous people, the people that God calls us to be to this world around us, if we don't understand how to value others above ourselves. And when we value others above ourselves, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position to be used by God. We're putting ourselves in a position to be generous. We're putting ourselves in a position to show somebody generosity. What would our neighborhoods look like? If we understood this, what would our workplace look like if we understood this? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself so that you can always extend generosity. What would our church look like if we understood that? What would our schools look like if we if modeled this for our kids? Rebecca showed us that generosity goes above but Rebecca didn't stop there. 
Rebekah was asked for a drink of the water. She pulled the well, from the well. She gave Abraham's servant a drink. But then she hauled up 2,400 pounds of water for the camels, who aren't nice animals, by the way. All they do is spit at you. Jessica will tell you. Talk to her after the service. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. And, and here's the thing. She didn't, she didn't just haul up enough water for them to get a sip. She said, I want to haul up enough water until they are satisfied. And I feel like somebody in the room, you need to know that Jesus wants to do the same for you. That that's his generosity. That he wants to fill your cup, not just so that it's full, but that it's overflowing. But the third thing we learn from Rebecca is this. Generosity goes beyond. Rebecca deciding without being asked to get water for the ten camels shows us that generosity goes beyond. Abraham's servant just asked her for a drink, but Rebecca, on her own, says, no, no, no I'm going to get them a drink too. I'm going to fill them up, fill them up, fill them up. And what Rebecca did is she went beyond what was asked of her, and she went beyond what was expected of her in that moment. She went beyond what was asked of her, and she went beyond what was expected of her. All the servant asked for or expected from Rebecca was to get a drink for himself. But what she gave him was so much more. And generosity goes beyond what is asked of us or what is expected of us. And as we follow Jesus, Jesus calls us to be a generous people. A people who make a difference in the same way that Rebecca did for this guy, for Abraham's servant. The same way that Jesus has done for many of us in this room. To make a difference in our lives by extending to people. The same way Jesus extended to us a generosity that went beyond what was asked for, what was expected. And because Jesus is now alive in us, generosity should be one too for us that goes beyond. Jesus, he, he showed us the greatest example of generosity by giving his life. But Jesus then literally went above and beyond. He overcame death. He rose again. He resurrected. And so he literally went above and beyond so that we could, in this world, with that same power that resurrected him from the grave, from his example of generosity extended to us, we now have the power to go above and beyond as well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this in the NIV, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So Jesus has the ability to go above and beyond in our life. And for many of us, he has time and time again. I can, I can tell you story after story of how Jesus went above and beyond. How he extended a generosity that went beyond what I asked for or what I expected. Here's the thing. If you would have asked me four years ago, five years ago, that I would have the opportunity to serve an incredible community of people, I'd have been like, you crazy. What? Really? No. But out of Jesus' generosity, 
He's given us this opportunity. He went above and beyond what was asked for, what was expected. And so when we step into living a life of generosity that goes beyond what is asked or expected, we are stepping into a generosity that is eternal because it's not based on our own ability or our own strength or even our own provision, but it's saying that because of the power that is in Jesus, my Savior, who has the ability to do anything, and that power is now at work within me, from that power I am going to live a life of generosity that's going to go beyond what is asked of me and what is expected of me. That's going to go beyond what I think is possible. That's going to go beyond what I think I'm capable of. That's going to go beyond what I think I can do or what I think I can provide. See, when we understand that generosity goes beyond and we understand that 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 power to be that kind of a generous person does not come from us, but it comes from the power of Jesus Christ that is now at work within us. What we understand is that generosity, see, when we're a generous people, what happens is we start to think not what we can do, but what God can do. And I don't know about you, but I believe that my God can do anything, that there is nothing that my God cannot do. And so I want my generosity to show that. I want my generosity to show people that I believe with all my heart that, yeah, God has asked me to give you this. And I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I know who holds tomorrow. And so I can be generous. I can show you a generosity that goes beyond in hopes that you wouldn't see me, but that you would see that Jesus can do anything and that if he can do something in your life, if he can do something in my life, then he can do something for anybody. A generosity that goes beyond isn't dependent on what we can do, but it's believing and trusting in what God can do. What if we, as the church, did more than what was asked of us, did more than what people expect of us? Here's the thing. I think that people expect the church to be generous. The reason that that's probably not the perception is because for us, We've given them a convenient generosity. We've given them a generosity that just meets the standard. We, we've given them a generosity that isn't going beyond what is expected or asked of us. We've just given them a generosity that's, that's good enough. But what if we as the church, what if you, once a week, found a way to show somebody generosity that wasn't convenient, Generosity that goes above and generosity that goes beyond. Andy Stanley, pastor at North Point Church, where I had the opportunity to serve for several years, he, he, he would encourage the staff with this saying. He would say, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And the reason I say that is because for many of us, the thing that stops us from showing a generosity that is inconvenient, a generosity that goes above and a generosity that goes beyond, is we try to do everything for everybody. But what we don't understand is if we did for one what we wish we could do for everyone, that that generosity isn't just about that one person. 
Because what will happen, I believe with all my heart, is if we show them an inconvenient generosity, a generosity that's going to go above, a generosity that's going to go beyond, is that person is going to do the same thing. So now they've been blessed by this crazy generosity. So now they're going to go to somebody else and say, hey, I know this has nothing to do with my schedule, that it's going to disrupt my life, but I want to do this for you because I'm, I'm learning that it's important to value others above myself. I'm learning it's important to go beyond what is asked of me or what is expected of me. And so I want to do this for you, not, not, for, not for me, not to, for me to get anything, but because of everything that God's done for me. And then that person's going to go and do the same. And so now, your one act of generosity has now impacted two people. And who's to say how many people end up being impacted because of your one act of generosity? Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. What would it look like if we embraced this inconvenient above and beyond generosity? I want to encourage and challenge us. We have an opportunity right now. We're partnering with the Bowery Mission, and Liani's going to get up and tell you a little bit more about it. Um, but we're doing something with them called Blessing Bags where all they've asked us to do is to bring in travel-sized toiletries, underwear, socks, gloves as we head into the winter. And, uh, and what they do is they're going to give those to people that they feed at their Thanksgiving dinner and beyond who really need this stuff. And here's the thing. When I picked up some stuff for us uh, to, to give, it wasn't convenient. I had to go out of my way to go to the CVS. It wasn't on my normal route. I didn't just get one travel size toiletry, but I, I wanted to get everything that was on the list. And, and then I, I, wanna, I wanna be able to do more. And so I, I'm gonna write a handwritten letter that they could slip into one of the bags. Inconvenient above and beyond generosity. And I wanna challenge us as a church to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, and we can all be a part of that. And so next Sunday, bring in that stuff. You'll get an email this week about it, and Liani's going to come and she's going to share more about it specifically. But that's an opportunity for us right now to embrace this generosity. And believe me, I know that in this city, it's not convenient to go out of your way sometimes. And uh, for whatever reason, that CVS was like seven blocks from the subway station I needed to get to. Believe me. It's like, literally, Lord, there's no other CVS or pharmacy or anything around here. And there wasn't. And he said... It's inconvenient, but doesn't release you from embracing generosity. And it's through this one act of inconvenient, above and beyond generosity, that leaves a legacy for the generations to come. See, I don't think a convenient generosity really leaves a legacy. I don't think a generosity that's just good enough leaves a lasting impact for the generations to come. But I believe that through one act, of inconvenient above and beyond generosity that we see from Rebecca. She became a part of God's story, and she left a legacy that is still felt today. See, Abraham's servant has specifically prayed to God, let it be a woman's generosity that is my sign for who Isaac's wife is. It wasn't the fact that she was beautiful, even though the Bible tells us that. I love that. That the thing that stood out to, to Abraham's servant was the fact that he wanted a wife who was generous. 
And I love, love, love that. But what would it look like if people recognized us as sons and daughters of God from our generosity, not from what we were wearing? Because let me tell you, ain't nobody looking at me right now just by this and saying, oh yeah, he's a Christian. When I left my job to, to come full-time at the church, uh, a lot of my coworkers who aren't believers, they say, hey, what are you going to do with all your clothes, man? <laughs> what? I said, I said, what do you mean? Yeah, what are you going to do with all your clothes? You, you're going to be a pastor. You can't wear that stuff at church. <laughs> what? Yeah, you can't wear pants with holes in them. What? Don't you have to wear a robe? So, so let me tell you, people don't physically look at us and say, oh yeah, look, look at that guy, he's got that jacket, he's a Christian. But our generosity can, can, can be something that people identify us as, as a son and daughter of God. And so I wonder, do people identify you as a follower of Jesus based on your generosity or simply based on your words? From this one act of generosity, Rebecca crafts herself into the story of God and, and, and crafts herself into this legacy. See, what happens is, from this one act of generosity, Rebecca becomes Isaac's wife. And after 20 years of trying to conceive a child, the Lord blesses Isaac and Rebecca with the son named Jacob. Jacob's name would then be changed to Israel. But what you have to know about Jacob is Jacob had a son. Jacob's son was Joseph. Joseph had a wife named Mary who gave birth to a man named Jesus. And so through this one act of generosity, Rebecca paves the way for God. to bring Jesus into the world through one act of inconvenient above and beyond generosity. Rebecca has helped to leave a legacy that we still feel today because Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive and well, and he is still moving. He is still transforming. He is still changing hearts today. The team can come. Once a year, um, we as a church, we do something called the legacy offering, and um, where we ask people in our church to pray to God and ask what they would give beyond what they normally give to the church. Um, and it's a specific offering that helps us to continue to uh, partner with uh, organizations all over the world, whether it's meeting needs for disaster relief, whether it's uh, helping to plant new churches all over the world, and then helping to develop what God's doing right here in this city. And uh, I just want to encourage you right now, we start that in a couple weeks, but I want to encourage you to start asking God now, God, what would you have me give? What is it that might be inconvenient what is it that might be something that is above and beyond what I think I'm capable of? What kind of generosity would you have me show for the legacy offering this year? We all have an opportunity to make a difference. 
And I believe we have an opportunity every single day, every moment of our life, to show somebody an inconvenient above and beyond generosity that God has always extended to us. And so with every eye closed, I want to pray for uh, two groups of people this morning. And the, and the first group is, uh, you know, maybe you've never accepted the inconvenient above and beyond generosity that Jesus showed us when he gave his life for us on the cross. God gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin, for our mistakes, for our failures, so that we could be reconciled to our Father in heaven. And Jesus just didn't die, but he overcame death and he overcame our sin and our shame and the weight of it through the power of his resurrection. And it's through the power of his resurrection that we have the power to repent, to turn from our ways, to follow his ways. And so I, I want to give somebody the opportunity, if you've never said yes to that, the invitation of salvation, I want to give you that opportunity right now. I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. In a moment on the count of three, I just want to invite you to lift your hand if you would say that's you. That I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never accepted the truth of his gospel that he gave his life on the cross for me but through his resurrection I now can have the power to repent and turn from my way and the reason I ask you to lift your hand is I just want to know who uh, I'm praying for who I'm praying with we're going to say a prayer all together but I want to know specifically who I'm praying with during that moment and so if you would say that to you on the count of three I just want to invite you to lift your hand if you would say that to you one two three 